Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to pick up with an interview begun a week ago with Julia Mossbridge, scientist, author, teacher, and the uh, co-author of, of The Premonition Code. We had a delightful conversation uh, very recently, and Julia will be coming to New York in the very near future, Tuesday evening, October 30th. We will be doing a public conversation at 12 West 11th Street, the Ascension Church, appropriately named, and we'll be speaking about the subjects discussed in the Premonition Code, teasing and pulling and and re-examining these types of subjects that are very close to all of us, that Julia specializes in studying both subjectively because of her deep, deep interest and passion in these, as well as objectively from a scientific perspective, putting on those lens and examining these phenomena to see what can be uncovered and be possibly applied in general for us all to learn from about this aspect of the human mind and brain, or I should say these aspects. Uh, Julia has really a distinguished background. She's a PhD and the director of the IONS Innovation Lab. She's also a visiting scholar in the psychology department at Northwestern, and she has begun her own institute known as the Mossbridge Institute. She has a list of very interesting experiences and credentials, which I will leave you to go to our website, abetterworld.tv, in order to read about, because our time with Julia is precious, and I'd like so much to dig right in, and you'll be able to see the credentials in a way bloom and blossom from our conversation itself. So, Julia Mossbridge, a pleasure to have you back on A Better World. Thanks so much. I'd like to be here. At this time, we won't have the mountains interrupting me as I weave in and out of these stories. Oh, yes. Okay, you're in a more uh, staid environment this time. Yeah, yeah, not traveling from place to place on my book tour. So, yeah, I'm back in Northern California. Okay, great. It's great to be here, Mitchell. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure. I love the book. I'm enjoying the stories. In fact, I really thought we'd go into some of the stories because they reveal so much. And then we can, you know, then back into some of the science, you know, put on those those uh, glasses, if you will. But there's nothing closer to human experience, Julie, as you and I know, than stories. I, we're, we're storytellers as a species, as a tribe, and there's something about them that has a, a very neuro, neurophysiological titillation that I think we all enjoy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's why I started studying precognition in the first place are my own experiences and the experiences of others that they started to tell me when I indicated I was open enough to listen as a scientist. So, yeah. Let's tell some stories. Right, right, right. Sure. So, you know, in your book, of course, you just you share with us so many of the stories. And, of you know, of the many, um, what are one or two that just kind of 
jump out at you that, you know, from your scientific point of view, not to mention your just fundamentally human and impassioned point of view, just really grabbed you and, you know, demanded that you have put them into the uh, into the book itself. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of those. But um, some of my favorites, well, one of my favorite ones I think we talk about in the first or second chapter of the book is this woman who had this dream that she was having fun with her with her child and she's running through someone else's house and she runs into this beautiful glass room and she's really enjoying it and she hears these birds tweeting very loudly. Oh, and yes, suddenly I the, remember. The, you remember <laughs> yeah. this? And then the glass yes, is shattered. Yes, I do. And she's mm-hmm. freaking out. Okay, so then she wakes up and life comes as usual. And her daughter, I believe it's her daughter, she takes uh, her daughter over to her friend's house. This is a new friend, so she's never been to her house before. And um, her daughter is playing and the mother says, oh, well, you know, they can go play out in the garden. And she says, she just feels like, well, after having had this dream, she feels like, well, I'll go with them. So she goes out there and she sees this glass conservatory and they're playing around the conservatory. And she thought she thinks of the dream and she says, you know, I'm just going to get him away from there. So she does. And a ball comes sailing in from some neighbor kid and crashes through the conservatory glass and shatters everywhere. And if they had been near or in the conservatory, that would have been a problem. So her dream really helps her pay attention. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, very cool. Oh, God, yes. Very. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, really, I, I, I totally remember that. And I was, you know, struck by it. Not by a ball, but I was struck by the story. <laughs> and <laughs> I was just wondering, um, how do you explain that? I mean, how do you... Yeah. really fathom that because you know we use this phrase of of bending time we use a phrase of nonlinear time you know uh, what is that wonderful quote by Einstein that uh, time is nature's way of keeping everything from happening at once you know there are so <laughs> many interesting <laughs> dimensions to this thing that we can't even touch or feel or see called time so as a scientist how do you see this? How do you explain it to yourself and to others? Yeah, so I guess I kind of go down the list. So one possibility that's really real and you have to keep in mind is that it could be a coincidence. You know, how many times do you have dreams about things that don't come to pass? Or how many times do you have concerns about things yes. that it turns out you were just being paranoid? So it's really important to keep that in mind. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So that's one option. Another option is that it was a yeah, true paranoia. precognitive. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of paranoia. Sure, You've got to avoid sure. thinking that every single thought That's you right. have is going to happen, right? That's, um, right. But, That's right. But assuming it was like a truly precognitive experience, which we can never verify except in the lab, and even then you know, it takes a lot of work to verify. Um, yes. But assuming it was, one way that you can think about it is that um, our perceptual systems if you think about, let's think about visible light spectrum. It took a long time before people started to acknowledge that there were frequencies of light that we couldn't see. There's electromagnetic energy that, that is not visible light, and it's continuous with the frequencies that we can see on both sides, sure. on, the, on the shorter and longer wavelengths, right? So it took a yeah. while for Infrared, people to that. X-ray, yeah. et cetera. Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet. Yeah, yeah, gamma rays. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. 
So I think we have a similar thing here. We have to consider that our sort of folk wisdom about time, that our perceptual system tells us, oh, time only moves in one direction and um, everything is moving in this forward direction and you can't get information about the future, that that could be essentially an illusion based on our perceptual systems and we could get kind of leakage from the reality out there. Just like when you get a sunburn, it's leakage mm-hmm. from the from the ultraviolet light that you can't see. It's showing you in, in your in your perceptual filter, it's showing you there's something out there that you can't see and it's affecting your skin. Yes. So so these kind of precognitive experiences can kind of be like leakage showing us in in their own way, look, there's information to be had available about future events that are important, at least events that are important, and you could get access to it, but not in, it doesn't appear to you um, right in front of your eyes. This will happen, and you should take your child and do, you know, take them away from the glass house. That's not how it appears. It appears in these sort of backdoor, sideways dreams, or right. compulsions, or thoughts, or visions, or insights, yeah. and and that's probably sometimes because our symbolically system, as well. Yeah, sometimes symbolically because our perceptual system is not built to have the straight-on approach for these things. Mm-hmm. Right. Otherwise, we wouldn't be surprised by them. <laughs> it would just mm-hmm. be part right. of life, right? Right. Yes. Right. And you, you could even be argued that there are those cultures, especially indigenous, that uh, it is just a normal part of their culture and their zeitgeist. You know, it's not no big deal for them. Well, well, yes and no. I mean, we say it's no big deal, but the, but it is in fact. There are people in, in some indigenous cultures sort of whose job it is to have these experiences and report them. And the fact that there That's are people true, true. whose job it is to do that means that it's not an everyday thing. So I think cross-culturally, yes. that's the situation is there are certain people who are pretty good at this, and that's because it's a, it's a real phenomenon. But it's just not so common. Yes. Like you're talking about the archetype, say, of the shaman or the medicine man or woman or seer or, you know, prophet. Right, this kind of thing. Yeah, sure. The visionary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay, so please go on. This is so interesting, listening to the different uh, ways you have and levels you have of evaluating a story like that, you know, from coincidence, and then you start peeling back the layers and, you know, by process of elimination, coming to a point where it may be a matter of our limited understanding and perception of time, that it has many different types of movements, not just what we assume to be forward. That's right. That's right. And so the idea that that's, um, it's almost like if you had to design a perceptual system, maybe it's the case that you have to choose a direction for conscious awareness because if you don't choose a direction, it just gets very confusing very quickly. So it's possible that a direction had to be chosen and we call that forward, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, there's something probably in our consciousness that has us propelling in some way that we call forward, you know, uh, you know, for we, we walk forward. We don't typically walk backward. You know, there may be any number <laughs> of uh, reasons, you know, if you think about it, we have eyes in the front of us, not behind us. Although some of us might, but, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's not how you think about that. But, but yeah, no, right. I mean, if we start to trace it back, we, 
there there must be a reason for it if if you go with this hypothesis. There must be yeah. a reason for it, and there must be a reason for at times getting information about the future. Like there must be a reason for things to skirt that system and to go into a dream or a compulsion or an insight or a flash of wisdom and to give us that information through other means because clearly that can be really valuable. I mean, there's another story in the book about a guy, um, Craig Hendricks, who's a friend of mine in the military, and this is a common kind of story among people who have been in the military for a while they, and on active duty. Um, those that survive tend to tell stories like this, but his story is pretty compelling. He was, I think it was Operation Desert Storm, and he was doing computer work, and he was sitting on a um, cooler in a bunker, and the cooler had water in it. We don't bottles of water because it's hot as can be, you know, because, you know, he's in Afghanistan or Iraq or something. I forget where. And um, Right. So he, Desert Storm was uh, Iraq. <laughs> Iraq, right, right. Thank you. Yes. So yes, he has sure. the feeling, I've got to get some iced tea. I've got to get some iced tea. And at the same time, he has a feeling, a judgment that says, okay, that's ridiculous because you're sitting on a cooler of water. If you're thirsty, just get some water. And then the, the voice comes <laughs> in again and says, nope, time to get some iced tea. And he's like, no, I will not do this. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'll get some water. And yes. finally... After arguing with it, he finally says, okay, fine, I need a break. I'll go get some iced tea. So he, he takes a break. He walks to the other location in the heat. It doesn't make any sense, but he's doing it, to go get some iced yeah. tea. And he stops, drinks it, and he, then he comes back. And when he comes back, his whole area where his bunker was is closed off. And he asks someone what's going on. He can't even get back in. And they say, oh, uh, at, they tell him the time. So at this particular time, um, a rocket uh, mortar came in and landed right over there, and that was right where his bunker was. Now, it didn't go off, but it was heavy enough Mm -hmm. that it could have hit him right where he was. It was right where he was. And he thought, okay, so that was why I wanted the iced tea so much. (laughs) It wasn't about the iced tea at all. It was about something, something was telling him through some sort of perceptual back door Let's yes. use this excuse to get this guy out of there. Mm-hmm. Mm. So interesting. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. You know, that just brings up the entire uh, subject also of, uh, let's say, um, celestial flora and fauna, if you will. You know, the... uh, You mean like, is there an angel that said, I see, I see, right? Exactly, exactly, right. I'm looking out for him. I've been dead, you know, like in um, the (laughs) film, It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. You've been assigned to him, you know. Okay, Bob. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then... So there's that angel who has to get him out of harm's way and... Well, we'll do it. Iced tea, iced tea, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm having, f- yeah. right. I, I mean, have, of course, we're having fun with it, but who knows? What do we know about the real nature of inter- and multidimensionality? We know some things, but we, we surely yeah. probably know less than we think we know, right? I used to be, yes. I used to, when people would bring this up and when I would talk about precognition, I used to say, well, you know, it's not testable, and I study things that are testable, so I can tell you there's precognition, but we don't know the mechanism. And I would say, look, that's one potential mechanism, 
it's kind of far out from the world of science, but right now the world of science and mathematics have, have both decided, both worlds have decided that dimensions beyond the, the three dimensions of space and the one of time likely exist. So frankly, yeah. if other dimensions likely exist, um, okay, all bets are off as to what's going on in those other dimensions. So what we may call angels or otherworldly beings or something could be mm-hmm. other dimensional us, or it could be, frankly, what if those other dimensions contain us in the future? So it could be him yes. in the future saying, I see, I see. <laughs> yes, right, right, right. Right, we tend to project outward, externalize it, but it could be another aspect in the sense of his own psyche um, that sort yes, of dwells in a of, parallel universe for all we know, right? That's that's right, speaking of, I was just giving a talk at a conference about precognition. Here's an I was just story. in a parallel universe, Mitchell. Funny that you mentioned it. <laughs> Speaking of, I've just returned. So I was just returned. Right, get back for the radio show. <laughs> no, please tell. <laughs> no, it was um, uh, something called the Applied Precognition Project. My wonderful friend uh, and colleague, Marty Rosenblatt, has created um, a, a project for people who are interested in precognition and applying it to the stock market and other things. They do they do a great mm-hmm. job. It's called the Applied Precognition mm-hmm. Project. And I went to their conference and I spoke at their conference and I led some meditations and such. And yes. um, in the hot tub after one of these days of the conference, someone who was attending the conference told me this is a story because it was reminiscent of a story I had told about my experience. So I'll tell my story first and then his. Sure. So my story is, Okay, so my story is that when I was growing up, my father had obsessive compulsive disorder. It was just really severe. And mm-hmm. he externalized it and decided that um, not only did he need to wash his hands all the time and tie his shoes all the time, but that there was something wrong with my, there was something unclean about my mouth. And he had to floss my teeth over and over again for about an hour every night because oh, there was my. something wrong. It mm-hmm. was really intense. It was really intense and really difficult oh, to deal yeah. with. Yeah, and, um, you know, by the way, just so you know, since then I've talked with him about it, been to therapy, worked with him on it, so he understands Mm -hmm. how difficult it was and has apologized. So just so you know, happy ending, Mm. very much of a healing. But during the time it was hard. Yeah. But during the time it was difficult. And I remember looking at this chair in my bedroom as he was flossing my teeth over and over again in this um, unreasonable way. And I looked at this rocking chair, and it was empty, but it wasn't empty. It felt like there was this woman there who was just so kind and loving. And she would say things to me in my mind's, you know, ear. She would say, you know what, it's okay to be angry, and, you know, he, what he's doing isn't, doesn't make sense, and you're right that that mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. It was very valuable to have sort of an, an ally there. And as yeah, I got older, sure. I kind of forgot about that image, but I started doing this thing that I like to do called time travel therapy where I go back to times in my life and I visit with myself and I tell myself things. And as mm-hmm. I went back to that time in my life, I thought, oh, I'll sit in this rocking chair. And then as soon as I did, I remembered having the experience of someone in the rocking chair and I realized it was me. And I thought, wow, oh, it wow. worked. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Yeah. And so that... So I told this story at a conference, and people were, like, very cool, you know. But then in the hot tub, I hear an even cooler story from this guy who was a premature baby in the 50s. And he had a near-death experience because he almost died because he wasn't taking in nutrients. And Mm -hmm. at the time, 
um, the deal was that they told parents don't get too attached because then don't touch the baby. You'll start to bond with it, and the baby's probably going to die, so don't get too attached. So basically mm-hmm. the premature babies would just sit in these incubators and cry, and no one would pick them up. So mm-hmm. this, this, this one lived, and I was talking to him, and he said that he remembered, because he had this near-death experience at that very early age, he remembered everything that was going on, and he remembered them pricking him in his heel, and they remem- he remembered them injecting him with things, but no one picking him up and him crying. And one day he mm-hmm. cried so hard that, that he remembered the experience of Jesus coming to him. He had this image mm-hmm. of Jesus coming to mm-hmm. him and comforting him and telling him, you're loved, you know, you're, even though no one's picking you up, it's because they, they misunderstand. It's not that they mm-hmm. don't love you. And it was very comforting. Yes. And he told his mother about it when he could learn to talk. And then later in his life, in his 30s, when it was, uh, it was in the, I guess, later 70s, and he had a really long beard, and he's a white guy with a long beard and long hair. It looks just like Jesus. He had a <laughs> dream that he went back to visit himself in the incubator, and he said, you're loved, and it's going to be okay. And so he thinks that was what he saw. He thinks he actually saw himself in the future. Oh, God. So Isn't that cool? <laughs> interesting. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah. Very cool and yeah. very, you know, uh, awesome to just behold. I mean, in the true sense of awe, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No question about it. Does this, also, yeah, I mean, the, our, sorry, go no, ahead. please, go on. No, no, please. Well, I just think that one of the most compelling reasons for taking up a precognition practice is to build these relationships between yourself, different selves over time. It feels so um, healing. It's Mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting because if you think about it, uh, something I was thinking about, you know, I've actually thought about it many, many times. In fact, I went to college originally I'm not sure I shared this with you I may have when we first met I went to college Julia in order to study uh, parapsychology as a way of proving the existence of God and the, the thesis of one mind one being so that if we were all in uh, each other's mind so to speak that we could have telepathy and be able to so-called read each other's minds that could make an argument so to speak for there being one mind of which we are all part of a a network you know and like uh like cells in a extended mind like uh cells in a body and and um but you know when you're a cell you're not necessarily thinking that you're part of a larger body you think i'm a cell you know and uh, this is cool <laughs> right. and you know right you don't see that you're part of something larger and it could well be that we don't see that we are part of something larger but in fact we are and so uh i was going to be using this whole idea as proof of the existence of god and i still stand by that by the way so from the point from this point of view um all other people in some way or another may be considered a projection of our own minds 
Is that too far uh, out? Maybe. Or not for you. I don't think that's <laughs> too far. No. I mean, any any <laughs> hypothesis is worth entertaining, that's for sure, because we don't yeah. know what's going on. I mean, full stop. So, frankly, let's get a bunch of hypotheses right. and stir them in a pot. But, yeah, um, right, right, right. Well, like that, the people, rocking chair story with yourself or yeah. this fellow, you know, um, is thinking that it was he himself that he saw in his mind's eye as a child, but thought of it as Jesus. I, you know, no, I, I'm I just, guess, I guess I'm I just, don't like the hypothesis because I want other people to exist. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It doesn't mean that they don't. It's <laughs> you know, it's a good point. It's a very good point. I do yeah. too. I'm really very fond yeah. of people. <laughs> you know. Me too. Me um, too. And it's you know, right, right, it's right, right. Boring. I want to be surprised. I want there to be different kinds of people. But if that's the situation, that could be the and situation. It just. Yeah, I think. Well, who knows? There I may mean, be some I, level I of that. Some level. It doesn't mean 100% yeah, I think at, at some level, I guess here's how I'd like to rephrase the hypothesis in a way that's sure, aesthetically please. pleasing for me, which yes, is that it's not that, it's not that there's one mind and it's mine. I, I think I'd like to rephrase it as I think there might be one mind and it's all of ours. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Well, that's what I was yeah. trying to say when I say God. It's not like I'm God. No, 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 no. It's something no, bigger no, no, than no. all of us that we're subsumed yes, yes, yes. Into, yeah. And which we create. Yeah, good. No, no, we're create. on the same page. Yes. We're on the same yes, page. Yes, okay, It's cool, fun, though, cool, right? Cool, Yeah, yeah, Now, yeah, all of this, <laughs> right, right. Now, this all brings up this other idea that I'd love to run by you and just, I know you deal with it all the time, and I'd love to hear what you have to say, which is that if, let's say, in the situation of the glass house or the situation of the iced tea and the rocket, uh, it suggests that there is a determined future, that it's, you know, faded, deterministic, it's already set, and then the uh, glimpse of insight, what have you, dream, vision, you know, no, gentle knocking at the mental door, whatever it may be, <laughs> yeah. puts us on another yeah. path, you know, and then we withdraw we, or we respond to it and we get out of, let's say, harm's way. But it sort of suggests that harm's way is already there or some, it's already laid out. Yes. Well, doesn't it, it's sort of both. Uh, well, there's sort of predeterminism except not, right? Because there was the harm. Yes. And now I'm not in the harm. So it, it, it's uh, interesting. So when I, was a, when I was a girl thinking about time growing up and reading, you know, lo- books about logic and time, you know, as all little girls do, as far as I know. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure all girls, but you certainly. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I did. And, um, I, uh, girls I of your age. <laughs> girls of my for sure girls of my own. I yeah. had this dream when I was bathing in those ideas when I was about 10, and I was worried about nuclear war at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was in the early, early 80s. And I um, had this dream of a room, and it, and it showed me a chair in the room, and it said, time is a room. And if there's something you want to avoid, like this chair, if this chair is a nuclear war or a nuclear bomb, 
You can mm-hmm. avoid it as long as you know that it's there. But if you don't know that it's there, you might walk right into it. And that has guided me and my my study of time through my whole life is that the knowledge of the layout of the room, the room is laid out and it's laid out and it's laid out and it's laid out. So the room is determined. So it's like saying the events are determined, but where you are in relationship to the events is what can change. You could walk around the So that's interesting. So you've got time as dimensions. You've got time and space. Time is set. Space is not. Yep. That's another way of putting what yep. you're saying. Okay. Yep. Time Very is interesting. It's set and sort of your experience in space is not. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like mm-hmm. the way you, particularly you, navigate through these events. Is, yes. uh, is what can change. And to me, that solves several paradoxes. Because when Einstein mm-hmm. was sketching out his theory of, special theory of relativity, he sort of locked events into place. Now, subjectivity isn't counted as one of the events, your subjective experience, right? Mm-hmm. That was never mm-hmm. taken into account in relativity, subjective experience. It was all like, where's the rocket ship, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, no, I shouldn't say that because, of course, he did some thought experiments about how time would feel. So that's a subjective, that's a subjective, uh, but mathematically, it was all about sort of these externalized events. So it makes me think that when we start to integrate theory of special theory of relativity with um, subjective experience, which I know several people are working on, including the folks who wrote this book called Beyond Dynamical Universe, and also, uh, Jonathan Schooler at UC Santa Barbara, he and I have some collaborative talks about that, and he's working on integrating mm-hmm. that. Once that's integrated, I think we will be able to develop a better story about how we can move through time uh, subjectively and avoid things that still exist, but our position in yes. relationship to them is different. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. And then there is the... I'll use the word dimension of free will. So yeah. even in that room where time is laid out like a map, but it's a time map, time line with events all along it, let's just say, even in the face of an event due to free will, would you say, Julia, that there is a chance to reconfigure that temporal event? And it's not necessarily because you're not there, i.e. the spatial dimension, but you are reshaping the temporal by making a different kind of choice. Let's do an example. Is that too abstract? Sure. Well, no, I just am afraid that I'm not, I'm not, I'm taking this in a different way you are. So I want to hear an example. So I make sure that I'm going to take this in exactly the way you mean it. So give me a good example of that. Like you dream about a plane crash. Okay. okay. So what happens? Okay. No, I'm asking you. Like, yeah, yeah sure. You dream about a plane. Sure. You're in a plane crash. Sure. Okay. I have to change okay. the subject. Excuse me. You are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are speaking with Julia Bosbridge today. We're having a wonderful time talking about the Premonition Code, her latest book, and uh, and 
we're exploring the space of time and space and understanding what is referred to broadly as the parapsychological dimension, sometimes referred to as the paranormal, which I'm not as fond of that phrase, but basically precognition, the whole space of, that's an interesting way of putting it, right? The whole space of (laughs) time exploration. And uh, we're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are on television every Monday evening at 7 p.m. And if you go to our website, www.abetterworld.tv, you can sign up for our weekly free newsletter and know about what's going on here in New York on our media shows as well as events. And we will be having Julia in New York City. She'll be coming soon, the 29th. It looks like we'll be doing a book signing at Om Shanti Bookstore on East 14th Street at around 7 o'clock, October 29th. And then the big event, which is October 30th, Tuesday at the Ascension Church at 12 West 11th Street in Greenwich Village, in the heart of the village, at 7 o'clock. Tickets are only $10 if purchased in advance. It's a suggested donation, and are 15 at the door. Just go to abetterworld.tv. You can click through. All the information is there, and we'd love to see you. If you're not in the New York area, Come to the New York area, or if that's just not possible because we have people listening in South Africa and Australia, etc., you must have some friends in the neighborhood and certainly forward them this this, uh, show, this interview, and uh, let them uh, know about what's up. So, anyway, I completely digressed from your question, and (laughs) I'm going to come back to it. Okay, plane so crash. what we were? Yeah, plane so crash. You dream you're in a plane crash, and you're and you're flying the next day. So you, you have you dream the night before you're flying. You dream you have a plane crash. Okay. So okay. In your scenario, so, what what would you do? Okay, so it's not that you don't go on the plane, which would be the alteration of space, right? I'm the place. I'm not going to go onto that plane because my dream portended the possibility of a crash. In my scenario, Julia, I'm thinking that, okay, I see that there could possibly be that. There's one level of probability. Uh, And so I go into the cockpit, you know, before the plane takes off, and I tap the pilot on the shoulder and say, listen, I had a pretty upsetting dream last night, (laughs) and it looked like this. (laughs) And I hate to say this to you, but... um, I got the impression as I was in the dream that uh, the pilot turned to the right, and if they had, the pilot had turned instead to the left, we would have avoided that, you know, um, situation. And the pilot says, I stand and sit advised, and I will see what I'll keep on the lookout for any <laughs> wrong turns. So there was a communication okay, then, in okay. that space that altered the outcome. Okay. So, and so what, and what you're saying is, of course, by extension, you're saying that, um, that the plane does not crash at all. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Because right. the dream right. portended 
a certain piece of information. That piece of information was communicated to the person in charge, and the person in charge had that super awareness. Like, for instance, another of the stories in your book uh, was of that woman driving behind these large trucks on her way, interestingly, to a radio show. And she had to be there right right on time. And correct me if my recollection isn't perfect, but uh, in the dream, she was being told to go to the right, but the station was to the left. If she went to the right, it was going to be long and circuitous and would probably get her there late. And she thought, like, what's the sense of that? But she followed that and later found out there was that major accident if she had gone to the left right okay so here's the deal we don't call precognitive situations where you have a feeling about something and the thing you have a feeling about doesn't happen so that the pilot in the instance of the the non-plane crash could say afterwards "Ah, i can't believe i listened to that person the plane was just fine right it was silly of me Mm -hmm. to even listen to that person right so we call that we call that a paranoia, a paranoid fear. Um, oh, okay. But we don't know how many pa- paranoid fears have actually ended up. <laughs> oh, no, this is another vote for making people paranoid. But we don't know how many <laughs> expressions of paranoid fears have actually made people more careful in altered events. And frankly, there's several different models of the way, you know, time and space work. So in some models, that could never happen. So the event happens, it's just your relative position in it. In other models, your relative position in it is actually solid too and can't change. And in other models, absolutely it's flexible, like in the multi-universe model, um, mm-hmm. Hugh Everett's model. You have many, many possibilities that branch off. So you might have gotten information from one future universe where there was a plane crash or there was you were in the accident, and that helped you choose another universe where that didn't happen. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. 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 It's complex, but I can generally yeah. follow it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very, yeah, it's of course, very interesting. And Yeah, the thing is this. Yeah. I mean, from a scientist's point of view, we're dealing with some pretty woolly subjects. And um, yes, while, <laughs> you know, even the idea, by the way, of accidents, i.e. coincidence, distinct from, you know, what we could call uh, beshert, as we say in the old language of Yiddish. You know, it was meant to be, (laughs) and, you know, or Jung's idea of synchronicity, that, you know, all things that there's actually, uh, you know, from that point of view of a larger mind, that everything happens just the way it should, or is destined to. And things line up from that point of view there's no such thing as coincidence what do you have to say about that yeah um, i know you've gone over I these have... things a thousand times but what no, can i have to ask I'm, you <laughs> I'm re- that's not why i took a deep breath i took a deep breath because i never know what direction i'm going to go so when oh i see right right right, right. <laughs> well maybe your lungs needed some air too <laughs> No, when someone asks this question, I'm always like, all right, what direction, I'm, what is going to come out of my mouth? Um, yes, yes. There's a, there's, a way in which, there's a way in which it all feels to be true, almost in a mathematical way. Like, what do I mean by that? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. What do I mean by that? I guess I mean like, yes, 
judging from the moment of your deathbed, let's put yourself on the moment of your deathbed, everything mm-hmm. that happened to you was meant to happen. And mm-hmm. in fact, if, if physical time also has events going in reverse, but we just perceive them in a forward direction, then in a way, of course, yes. it was meant to happen because it happened. It's happening in the future. Like yes. all the things, you know, right. including the yes, warnings yes. of the things and the way you avoided the things, all of it, right? So in yes. a certain sense, yes. Um, from the sense of a forward, a person who only thinks forward in time and isn't, doesn't think they're getting information from the future, then it has to feel not meant to be because everything seems possible. So mm-hmm. there's a way in which there's a way in which this all brings up the idea of free will and makes us ask ourselves, you know, in one direction, it feels like, well, there was no free will. It was meant to be, but it feels there's a difference. Ah, what am I saying? There's a difference between free will where it feels um, like, like uh, you get to have choice and there is no future plan and free will where it feels like, you're guided, you're being pulled by the future. It's like you have a car and it's pulling you. That's a different mm-hmm. kind of feeling of free will than free will of, uh, you know, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, nothing's calling me, and I just have any choice that I want. So I yes. feel like when people say, yeah, don't you feel like those are different? Oh, my God, yes. You, you, you really hit it. Yep. Completely yeah, different. So One I, is existential. Yeah. And one yeah. is like an existential dread, so you know, a la yeah. Camus, you know, and the other <laughs> yeah. is I am being guided along a path I know not much of, but it feels almost like I'm being carried in that direction, and somehow it actually feels very purposeful and very good and very meaningful. Yeah, and so those feelings are so different. So when someone says they either do or don't totally. believe in free will, it's worth probing more to find out where they're at with that stuff because it could have a completely different effect on their psychology and their spirituality. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and and, very, and it also makes me. Yeah, oh, well, I, yeah, you led me there, but it, I think that it what? Uh, I'm sorry, it what? You led me there. You you're good at leading people down a road to interesting questions that they haven't answered in that way before. So I yeah. appreciate that. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Absolutely. You know, it's funny what our gifts are, right? It's just so interesting. Yeah. And the whole subject of what you bring up in your life's work, as well as in the book, of course, uh, throws us back on ourselves, if you will, Julia, and has us examine our own, natural gifts and uh it's so much fun i mean you know i call myself at the end of the day um one of the last days uh, a wordsmith and one of the reasons is not do i just adore language um but also um i kind of have this way of i guess i would call reaching into somebody's minds hearing what it is they're trying to say and may not be able to do so that well and then i formulate it in a sense for them and they usually say yeah 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 that's it that's it thank you <laughs> go, no problem yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 another so day in paradise you know <laughs> yeah yeah it's a nice way you can get it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <Burn. laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, 
was good. That was good, yes. Right, but you know, but, but each of us, just like you do this wonderful process of, as you put it, dreaming for people, right? So yeah. Yeah, maybe true. you could, what, do you want to share a little of that process? Oh, I love that. It came to me, you know, all my life I've had regular dreams. Uh, I've had precognition dreams. And I've had dreams that I have no idea. They're clearly about someone else. I become someone else. I don't know this person. My whole life is different. It's like a whole different life. There's different issues, Mm -hmm. people I don't know. It doesn't seem precognitive for my life. Um, And I've always wondered what the heck is going on. And there's a part of me that thinks I'm just, yeah, I think I'm entering into someone else's life and sort of dreaming for them. So finally I I put out the word and I'm like, I think I might be able to dream for people. So people came running, and I developed a habit of signing people up for a particular agreed-upon night where what they do is they write down next to their bed a um, question that they have, like on a post-it note or a piece of paper or their notebook, whatever. But they don't Mm -hmm. tell me the question. They just know that that night is their night that I'm going to dream for them. So they write that down. They go to sleep. Meanwhile... In my house, I have a post-it note that has their name on it, and usually I put a little drawing, you know, happy drawing, like, yay, I'm dreaming for this person, you know, because <laughs> I like to enjoy <laughs> my work. And I stick yeah. it next, on my dream notebook next to my bed, and I go to sleep, and I ask permission to dream for them. You're just in my mind, I'm asking permission. Mm-hmm. And it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just playing with this. It's not a scientific experiment, but I just play with it. And um, in the morning, I write down all my dreams, and I send all my dreams to them. And they can tell me their question or not. Um, of the people who have told me their questions, uh, I found a couple interesting things. One is some people say, I have no idea what any of this means, but sometimes later in a few weeks they'll say, I looked back and I realized you were predicting something that was going to happen to me, not that had already happened. So it answered my question in the future, but I didn't get it. So that was interesting. Um, other people, Very. I don't yeah, other people, I don't answer the question they ask. I answer another question that's on their mind, but they didn't ask. So that's interesting. Sometimes yes. there's no correspondence at all, and so it's just like a complete bust. But the most interesting thing for me is sometimes they forget that they were supposed to write down a question. And on those nights, oh. um, four, four of the nights in my life that I haven't had any dreams, three of those were nights where someone forgot to ask their question. So... Oh. I was like, all right, that's interesting. Yes, yes. (laughs) So I'm trying to dream for them, but I don't really have permission to dream for them because they didn't write a question, you know? But one of my favorite stories, yeah, isn't that cool? One of my favorite stories is that this one engineer was working on a project and I dreamt, I don't don't do engineering, but I dreamt Mm -hmm. um, a structure that helped him solve his problem and that was really cool. Oh, God. That's so interesting. That is <laughs> so cool? interesting. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And, you know, so this brings up that same idea of one mind, you know, and yeah. it brings up neuroplasticity in my mind. It brings up that little part of the one mind that is mine. Um, it brings up the idea of <laughs> neuroplasticity. But <laughs> give yeah. it back. Um, but it also <laughs> brings up <laughs> – it also brings up the uh, something I deal with as a therapist a lot, which is the domains of sympathy and empathy. And 
I, just like you were saying about yourself, being able to sort of, it doesn't even feel like you, but you're experiencing the world from someone else's position. So a lot of the work I do, especially uh, in groups um, or couples or families, is where people stand in each other's shoes. And there's something about occupying the other person's physical position that gives them the access to the psycho-emotional life, I like to call it, of the person with whom, let's say, they may be in conflict. And they can see, slash, feel, and read that person better because they were actually standing in the exact physical location or sitting in that position in the same way the other one was, let's say, just moments before, before I asked them to switch positions. So that's one well, that's part of it. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? No, that's very interesting because when I do the dreams, of course, I'm asleep and they're asleep. We're both lying down, right? Right. So the, right. So, so it's a, bio, it's a form of biomimicry, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. You see? Yeah. And yeah. then because you were telling me about you experiencing other people, so to speak, in your body. So there's this boundarylessness, to some extent, relatively speaking, between you and the being of another person, at least sharing in their field, and is the way I kind of like to put that. And I know that I feel other people very deeply, which is probably why I became a therapist, you know, because I yes. can feel their pain. Usually it's pain yeah. and feel their suffering or feel, and, and also it could be their joy as well. But it's, it's, it's as though it's happening in me. Now, I have my own explanation of that having to do with, you know, resonance fields. And there's, a, there's a, literally a frequency that if you're open to it, it goes right through your own heart that might be emanating from the other person. So to me, it's not all that mysterious. I feel like I have a a plausible, (laughs) reasonable explanation. I don't know if it's factually true, but it seems true to me. You know, and I use Sheldrake's, uh, you know, morphogenetic field perspective on matters of this sort, you know. And anyway, I'm just sharing these thoughts with you because – we're talking about this kind of space and it really opens up so many different dimensions to talk about what your, you know, specialty is here, Julia. I, it's really well, thrilling. So I know. I mean, I don't think it's, I also don't think it's um, off topic. I mean, so as soon as you start thinking about connecting this with yourself over time, precognition yeah. is really like reading your, your own mind over time, right? What is my future meaning yeah. experience? Right? So right. connectedness with yourself over time, that is not far off from connectedness with yourself over space. In fact, it's necessarily connectedness with yourself over space because you're at a different location, yes. usually, yes. you know, at that yes. other time. So to me, you're talking about connecting between two people in space with uh, psychoanalysts and, and, our, and psychologists are always talking about. By the way, mm-hmm. psychoanalysts and psychologists are always talking about this uh, experience of feeling the other person's feelings. But that's sort of yes. taboo to actually bring up the idea of telepathy, which is ridiculous because 
everyone has incredible stories. As far as I can tell, every clinician has incredible stories of telepathic experiences between themselves and the client. So to me, there's not much difference. Mm -mm. No, I agree with you. Even you could even talk about transference and counter-transference if you really want to get down to it and and what that mechanism is really involved with, right? And if you come from the point of view that we were speaking of before, and I really was kicking this around a lot uh, for actually many, many years, but, uh, but today in, you know, in mental preparation for our uh, conversation this evening, I was thinking, you know, if you come from the point of view of one mind, um, the, what we call telepathy has to be there. In fact, if it's not there, we're in trouble. It's it's like not having a telephone with people, you know, across dang, a dangerous landscape. You know, you've got to be able to communicate. Yeah, right. You know, that's and right. it's actually it's actually, and I really look at things from a survival point of view and a biological point of view. So if we're being designed in a certain way by evolution, let's just say. Um, there's yeah. got to be a mechanism by which we can communicate without the telephone, <laughs> to be funny that's about right. it. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, we only, right? and, and not even to be funny about it, but just to be evolutionarily sound about it, you know? Yes, I that's mean, right. we only recently got the telephone and the Internet, uh, the blip of, of geologic time. I used to yes. study uh, marine mammal communication. Just to go really far afield, I used to study Please. marine mammal communication and killer whales. And yes. I would look at their signals, and it seemed to me some of the some of the um, fundamental frequencies, which are the the baselines below the harmonics, they seemed to curve yes. around in time. And I was just thinking, God, is that like what does that mean? <laughs> what is going yeah. on here? Please yeah. unpack so, that one. <laughs> what yeah, when you uh, well, say I bend mean, around in time, like the sound waves form some kind of circle? Yeah. Did you see Arrival? Circle. Oh no. Yeah. I did not. Oh, so there's a movie called Arrival about this um, these um, aliens who yes. are who function in a circle in time. And their language yes. is circular, so they present mm. information all at once, all in a piece. Their sentences are all presented at once. And um, it looks like if you plotted frequency versus time, most of the time you would see, you know, ooh, look like a line that would go up, and ooh, would oh, yeah. be a line that went down. Uh-huh. Okay, so those were common, common. But every once in a while you'd see something that I cannot Thing for you because I would need to be a Tuvan throat singer where this, <laughs> the thread of the fundamental frequency would start and then would I swear to God circle back in time on the time axis which would mean that there wow. would be two fundamentals at one time and then it would go forward again and I just I didn't know I didn't know what to do with that so I didn't put it in the yeah. paper that I was re- working with but wow I, I still think that's a fascinating Yes. Fascinating yes. something to look at. <laughs> yes. No, yeah. I, I agree with you. Even though it's even a little hard to follow the full thread and I'm highly intuitive, yeah. I still I, yes. I I follow the overall gestalt and gist. And um 
it really yeah. makes sense to me, and it just reminds me, just like you referred to at the beginning, the the light spectrum, where yeah. our human perception is one fraction of the volume of the spectrum. So too, it's the same with sound, and we hear just what is it uh, at around twenty thousand or so, very few of the frequencies that are otherwise available in our universe. And so that needs to be a metaphor for how limited our actual sensory perception is, even though those are our windows on the world, whether it's by sight, auditory, kinesthetic, the olfactory, you know, these are our ways of perceiving. But we have the scientific knowledge that that is a tiny, tiny little fraction of what there is that exists. You know, just the whole phenomenon of black holes, et cetera, and wormholes and all that. We can't see it. How about just uh, and dark air? energy. And dark yeah. energy. Yeah. And, and how about some yeah. bacteria, for that matter? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when was the last yeah, time you met a friendly have... bacterium? You know? <laughs> We have so much evidence in the history of science and in what we know now that whatever we perceive is a very small part of the iceberg. So, yeah, I, you summed it up beautifully, and all I can say is um, amen to that. I think that's beautiful, and I'm looking forward to the next couple of decades in science as we start to untangle this. Isn't that true? Well, we have you to thank for a good amount of that untangling, and um Hoping oh, that you. conversations like and this, others. sure, can help to advance the action. You know, it's very exciting. And uh, the work of IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and we here in New York, the Friends of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, FIONS, are doing what we can. And they are a co-sponsor, by the way, of our uh, evening on the October 30th, Julia. So we're oh, in good hands. Oh, Yeah, great. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yep. So these are, you're just bringing so much fun to the table for our reflection and um, increased knowledge. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We didn't touch on, and I, I think that we don't have the time to tonight, but the subject of looking at the lab science. So on one hand, you've got the 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 social science aspect of evaluating what we would call a coincidence or the probability of a precognition experience and or dream or what have you and then there's the actual you know the physiology of what we you know what you see in the lab and being able to also maybe reproduce a precognitive experience right that's a whole other domain that yeah, that's a whole other Shall we There's a, well, we touch didn't cover that. a lot. We didn't we didn't cover much about the the future of the precog economy and how it could influence the world. So, yeah, there's a lot we need to cover. Okay. Fine. So, we will have you back on another time? Absolutely. And then we'll talk about all that stuff uh, when we get together in New York. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. Julia Mossbridge, thanks so much for joining me again today. A total delight. Thank you, Mitch. It was been, it's been great, Mitchell. Good. We'll talk soon and see you soon. See you soon. You got it. Bye-bye now.
Julia okay. Mossbridge, the author, but by now, the author of The Premonition Code, co-authored by uh, Teresa Chung, and uh, it's just jam-packed and fun-filled reading of stories, as we were saying, and she shared some of them with us, as well as the science, both the what I guess I should call the social science, sort of like the way psychology is a science where they a- analyze, um, you know, uh, subjective experience from a more objective point of view. And then there's, you know, another step, which I just referenced at the very end here, called lab science, where the what's called hard science of seeking to actually replicate experiences that we refer to as precognition and the whole family of uh, parapsychological phenomena and um, you know what happens then and how successful are they there and well we'll be learning more about that when I sit down with Julia on the 30th of October here in the Big Apple so I do hope that you can join us and uh, tickets and all of that recommended donation that is uh, on the website at www.abetterworld.tv remember that Julia has a book as I mentioned numerous times called The Premonition Code which you can get on her website uh, I think it's juliamossbridge.com and thepremonitioncode.com that's for sure and she just has so much to bring forward It's a real pleasure. Before concluding, I want to just remind everybody that if you are anywhere in the general environs of New York City, the weekend of the 26th through the 28th, right before our event, uh, is my dear friend Mark Becker's New Life Expo. And it is always plenty of fun, very educational, extremely inspiring, I'll be giving a talk on Sunday on the 39th floor in the Skytop Room and uh, at noon, so please join me. I'll also be uh, moderating the nutrition panel at 3 o'clock on Sunday. And then we will be showing a film that I'm actually interviewed in, as are a few of my dear colleagues and friends here in New York, called Orenda. O-R-E-N-D-A by Lana Marconi and I was in a film I think you remember because I interviewed Lana about it called Feel the Waves of Intelligence I gave her that subtitle and uh, she uh, has won all sorts of awards across the world for that one and this is her second film that I was in as well as as I say several of my good friends and uh We'll be showing this Sunday evening at 7 p.m. in the Gramercy Park Room at the New Yorker Hotel at the New Life Expo. So if you're in for a day pass or for the whole weekend, you can come and see. This will be the uh, New York premiere showing, and we'll have uh, a panel discussion afterwards with those of us that can be present from the film itself. So thank you all for joining, and remember that we offer a number of services here at A Better World, from uh, coaching and counseling to biofeedback, reading your energy fields, and assessing the stress 
therein and balancing them. Most important, balancing it out, as well as we have a series of uh, DVDs on our Amazon site. All of this can be found at abetterworld.tv. So glad you joined us, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank you.